I'm trying to, you know, put myself on a pedestal. The other, the other challenge is, you know, when I memorized it, it was still in uh, gender-specific language, and some of the newer translations are, are more gender-inclusive, so they, they include you ladies, right? Because it's not just for us guys. God's word is for, for all of us, you know? Uh, so when I memorized it, you know, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked or stands in the way of sinners or sit, you get the idea. Uh, but if you'd like to read along, you can turn in your Bible uh, to Psalm 1. Uh, you can look on your device. We're also going to have the words on the screen, and we can all read it together if you would like. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in its season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. Now, it's interesting in the earlier manuscripts, as I was doing some background research for this series, uh, and the earliest copies of the Psalms, this Psalm never had a number. You know, we, we think of it as Psalm 1 because it's number one in the Bible, but originally this Psalm didn't have a number, and scholars believe that that's because this was never intended to be one of the Psalms. It's, an, it's actually the introduction to all of the rest of the Psalms, which is kind of an interesting way to look at what we've just read, right? Uh, as an introduction, it's intended to become the gateway for setting up our hearts and our minds to prepare for what we are going to experience in the rest of the Psalms if we're willing to continue reading on through what is about to follow. All of the songs and the prayers by the people of Israel were considered part of God's Torah, part of God's law. Now, now we often think of the Torah as being the first five books of the Bible, but, but what, what I, I've been learning is that there is a, a, a specific sense of the Torah, which is the first five books, but then there's also this general sense of the Torah, that the wisdom literature and the Psalms and the prophets all become a part of God's guidance to his people, his law that helps them to navigate life together with him, which means that, that this broader sense of engaging God's word as his guidance, divine guidance for living the life that he's given us to live, uh, this idea of God's law, God's Torah, becomes a part of how we engage with God and understand how he would guide and direct us to experience the kind of life that he's intended us to live. See, in this sense, the God's law, which we uh, often you know, cringe at the idea of law because we're a, a nation of, of freedom, right? We like our freedom. We don't like rules and restrictions and laws. We want to be able to do what we want to do and when we want to do it. But see, God's law for the people of Israel wasn't just a restrictive legal code and a set of ritual practices that they had to follow. It had this larger connotation as well as, as divine guidance for how to experience the abundant life that God wants us to experience, or what the psalmist calls the blessed life, right? Blessed is the one who follows God's teaching. 
See, uh, scholars often refer to this idea of wisdom literature as a, as a guide from God for how to live wisely and discerning. Thus, Psalm 1, or this introduction to the rest of the Psalms, is encouraging us as its readers to consider the possibility that there is divine guidance that is to follow. And if we're willing to open our hearts and our minds, that God may actually show up. If we're willing to to commit ourselves to reading God's word, we might just find ourselves amazed at who God really is in our lives. See, it's not just reading it for the information, but it's engaging in the scriptures. It's meditating on it. It's chewing on it. It's immersing ourselves in the context and in the stories and in the situations that we will see in the Psalms and to prayerfully allow those words to be God's words communicating to us in our lives and in our situations. Structurally, if you look at Psalm 1, it's arranged in a series of two-verse comparisons between uh, the lifestyle and the outcomes of two different ways of approaching life or two different paths that we might follow. One that leads to experiencing a life of blessing and fruitfulness and meaning, and one that leads to more of a dried-up, withered, and meaningless end. The underlying question of Psalm 1 I'd like to suggest for us this morning is which one do you want to follow? Which path do you want to walk in your life? You see, in these two different ways, there's some negative examples of what not to do and a positive example of what to do. And Psalm 1, therefore, doesn't assume that life is going to be perfect and that life is going to be easy and everything's going to be rosy and we're never going to have any complications. In fact, just the opposite, Psalms assumes that life is difficult. Life is going to be hard, and and, and God has given us a a life in a world that, that is often hostile to his ways and goes against his commands and leads us away from the blessing and the fruitfulness that he desires for us. Life is going to be challenging. It'll wear you down. It'll wear you out. And and so how in the midst of this challenging life in this dark and evil sometimes world do we discover the way to find true blessedness, true happiness, true joy? See, the the word blessed here conveys this idea uh, of of a sense of well-being and rightness. And I think what we'll discover and what we see in the Bible is that our experience of well-being and rightness doesn't only come from having the blessings of what this world says makes us successful, right? And, and so where do we truly find happiness and contentment in life? God's word helps us to be, to be able to identify the path to true happiness in this world. See, uh, happiness comes from an experience of righteousness, This idea of being in right relationship with God and in right relationship with one another and then in right relationship with the creation allows us to to feel contented and happy that we're living in the sweet spot of, of life, the sweet spot where God has for us. Even though life might not be perfect and we might be in the middle of difficult and challenging circumstances, we can still know that that we're living in the right place that God has for us, and that can bring satisfaction and meaning even in the midst of some really difficult and challenging circumstances. So he starts off with a negative example, right? He says, you will be blessed if you do not (laughs) walk 
in step with the wicked. If you do not stand in the way that sinners take. If you do not sit in the company of mockers. So, so this first one, he starts, do not walk in step with the wicked. When I, when I read that, you know, I, I first kind of cringe a little bit because that word wicked is a pretty intense word, right? Especially for us in our culture, when we think of the word wicked, we think of extreme evil and darkness and like horror movies. And I, I wouldn't walk with those people anyway. You know, I don't know what you're talking about. But scholars suggest that the word that got translated to wicked, which is actually an old English word, which simply means to be in the wrong, was a, was a legal term. It, it, it was a, a judgment term from old Israel, where, where you, if you had two parties who came to court because they had a disagreement, the judge would have to hear both sides and make a judgment on who was in the right and who was in the wrong. And if you were in the wrong, you were the wicked. And if you were in the right, you were the righteous. So it's kind of old language that, that still speaks to stuff that is common sense to us, right? So, so walking in step with those who are wicked, it's not like, you know, there's evil vampires and stuff out there that you're, you know, cavorting with. It's people who are morally in the wrong. They've made the wrong choice. They're going in the wrong way. And you've chosen to, to walk with them, to associate with them, and to keep company with those who are in the wrong. And if we find ourselves walking in company with people who are intentionally going the wrong way, what we find is ultimately we're going to feel more and more comfortable uh, living that way, and we're going to find ourselves stopping and standing with those who are living in a, in a sinful way, right? Sin becomes more of the norm rather than the aberration. We become comfortable with sin. We become comfortable with the lifestyle that we're living. And so we feel comfortable standing and stopping. And, and sin, if, if you've studied your Bible at all, is really, again, a fairly simple term. It simply just means missing the mark, right? It means falling short of God's ideal for us. I was told, and I haven't confirmed this, but when I was a kid, that it was kind of an archery term. Have you guys heard that one? So if you're, if you're aiming for the bullseye and you, you, you loose the arrow and it misses the bullseye, you're missing the mark. That's sin. You're, you're aiming at something, but you're not hitting what you're trying to hit. And so you've missed the mark and that's sin. And so this idea is that we're now becoming more comfortable living a lifestyle that's continually missing the mark and that's becoming a part of where we're hanging out and the kind of people that we're hanging out with. And notice the progression, right? From walking to standing, and then ultimately what we do, we get so comfortable we just kind of plop down and have a seat, right? We settle in and we become comfortable with people who become the mockers. And who are the mockers? The mockers are the people who have turned their back so far on God and religion and all that that they, they start to deride those who try and pursue a righteous life. They start to mock God and things of religion. They start to mock people who think that they're religious and say, oh, you're just holier than thou. And they try and undercut the very things of God in our lives because they just don't care anymore. And now what we've done is we've gotten out our camping chair and we've, you know, folded it out. We've gotten the cooler next to us and we've plopped down and put on our sunglasses and we've joined the crowd that is just going to ridicule all those who think that they can have any hope of ever pursuing this blessed life that God has invited us to experience. A person who wants to experience a blessed life does not walk 
with the wicked, does not stand with the sinners, does not sit in the seat of mockers. But what do they do? What's the antidote? If you don't want to get sidetracked and pulled down this, this wrong path, what do you do? Well, the antidote, he says, is, is those who don't go that way delight themselves in the law of the Lord. And, and they meditate on his law day and night. Now, now but I want to pause here real quick. And, and as we look at this contrast between these negative examples and this one positive example, do you notice that the contrast between the two that the psalm is saying here is not about our behavior? Think about it. He's not talking about our behavior. What's he talking about? He's talking about the external influences that we choose to allow to impact our lives. It's an interesting twist, right? Uh, Oftentimes we think about it's our behavior that leads us where we want to go. But really he's saying the starting point is you have to look at what are the influences that you're intentionally exposing yourself to that will take you down one path or the other. See, it's talking about a person's choice of what we choose to listen to and expose ourselves to and be guided by and influenced by to delight To delight in the law of the Lord carries this understanding that it's not just some ritual practice that we do in order to earn God's favor and to get brownie points in heaven. Hey, I read through all the Psalms in two weeks. How fast did you do it? (laughs) Right? It's not about checking off a religious duty list so we can say, hey, I I read the Psalms and, and I got my brownie points. The words and wisdom of God become, for us, the psalmist is telling us, the place of rescue from a lost world, the place of renewal from the brokenness in our lives, the place of restoration and reorientation to God's ideal and to God's righteousness in our lives and in our relationships, even in the midst of life's difficulties and challenges. See, God meets us in this time of seeking him in his word. God's presence and power are revealed to us, and we become amazed at the depth of God's love and his grace and even his power to meet us in those dark and those lonely places. How personal God is and how persistent he is to to pursue us and to never let us go because he loves us and he cares about us and he doesn't care where we've been and he doesn't care what we've done. We are amazed by how God continually draws us back to himself. But we get that from spending time in his word, where his spirit reminds us of who God is in us and to us. See, the people who who get that, the people who are willing to, to walk down that path, the people who are willing to spend the time to invest in seeking God through God's word become like people who are like a tree that are planted by streams of water where their roots go down and they never lack for nourishment and they never lack for being thirsty. They don't get dried out and withered even in the hard times of life because they have this source of water that allows their leaves to stay green throughout the difficult seasons, whether it's storming or whether it's drought. They are uh, thriving and, and their lives begin to experience the fruit that God would have for them. The righteousness of God produces fruit in their lives. And it says, whatever they do, they prosper. Whatever they do prospers. Now, I think it's important we have to unpack that word prospers here a little bit too, because if you've been in church at all, you've probably heard a lot about the prosperity gospel, right? 
This idea that, that God says, hey, if you give me $100 today, God's going to pay you back tenfold tomorrow. So why don't you give me $100? You know, if you do your religious duty, God's going to bless you and you're going to get the big house with the fancy car and the 2.5 kids and the white picket fence. And if you don't get that, well, hey, your faith just isn't strong enough. It must be something you're doing that God isn't blessing you because... God's people prosper. Is that what the psalmist is saying here? I don't think so. See, see, prosperity from a biblical perspective is all about righteousness and the fruit of God's spirit in our lives. It's not about the material comforts of this world. It's not about the things that our world says are valuable or that make you successful. Because you can have all the things that this world would provide for you that says you're successful and you could still be lost and lonely and broken and hurting and desperate. You could still be counted among the wicked who are dry and withered and wondering what life is really all about. That's not where prosperity really comes from. Prosperity from a biblical perspective is the life that produces the fruit of God's righteousness. And in so we find purpose and meaning and hope even in the midst of our deepest and darkest experiences of life. You see, these people experience the joy of being in relationship with God and in relationship with others who share God's spirit. This is a part of God's blessing that together we can navigate the storms of life. We can weather any circumstances that would come our way. But not so the wicked, he says in verse 4. Not so the wicked. They're like chaff that the wind drives away. I had to look this up because, you know, this, we're not an agricultural culture. And uh, uh, chaff is the, uh, the husk of the grain. So if you're harvesting grain like wheat or something, you, you take the head of the grain and the, the, the grain has a husk on it. And in order to get that husk off, to get to the, the kernel of the grain, you have to pound it and it kind of loosens it. And then you have to throw everything up in the air. And the wind takes all of that, that loose chaff and it, it blows it away. And the, the seed that is heavier, the kernel falls back to the ground so it can be harvested. It's quite a powerful image, right? He's saying, if you're not connected to the source of water in life, if you're not having your roots go deep in, into God's source of meaning and guidance and purpose for your life, your life becomes dry and withered like chaff. That, that a slight wind comes along and it just gets blown away. I mean, think of Jesus, and he talked about the wise and the foolish builders, right? The wise builder is the one who, who built their house on the rock, because when the storms come, it would stand, but the foolish builders built their house on the sand, and the storms came, and the waters rose, and the house got washed away because he didn't have a, a solid foundation. See, a tree that, that produces fruit is a tree that has roots and a foundation that go deep. And what the psalmist is saying is if you want to live a blessed life, if you want to experience a life of true depth and meaning and purpose, you need to spend time studying and meditating and engaging God in the middle of his word. That's why he's given it to us. That's why the psalms are here, because God promises that if you spend the time to seek him through reading the psalms, not just for information, but for relationship and for answers, God will show up and you will be amazed at who God really is in your life. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. They won't be able to be counted among the righteous. Uh, they, they won't be able to show up in the end because they'll have been blown away by the wind, right? Because the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way 
of the wicked leads to destruction. This word, the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, scholars suggest should better be translated, the Lord knows the way of the righteous. The Lord knows the way of the righteous. And this idea of knowledge isn't informational knowledge or intellectual knowledge. This is the, uh, the, the relational knowledge. God relates to experiences the way of the righteous. God is a part of it. And see, when we get on the path of God through the word of God and engage the spirit of God by reading his word and, and engaging, God knows our path because he's walking it with us. He knows us. He knows our experience. He knows our fears and our joys. And he protects and guides us through to the end, even though we're going to mess up, we're going to make sinful mistakes, we're going to be, uh, <coughs> excuse me, counted among those who aren't perfect, but we can have confidence and hope because our righteousness doesn't come from ourselves. It comes from God, right? He can see us through to the end. And ultimately, I'd like to suggest for us that Psalm 1 and the rest of the Psalms point us ultimately to Jesus. The Psalms ultimately cast a hope for the one that would come that would bring all of these things into unity and truth. For us. If you think about the backdrop of why Psalms is concerned with these two paths and encouraging us to be intentional about the influences in our life and making sure we're on the path that leads to fruitfulness and righteousness, why is that? Maybe ask the question this way. According to Psalms, who, is, who are the righteous? Who is righteous? Is anyone righteous? No, right? None of us are righteous. That's why he's giving this, this warning or this concern or this direction because he knows that all of us have fallen short. All of us had made mistakes. And so we need God's word. We need to be intentional about allowing the spirit of God and the word of God to influence our lives because if we're not, there's a whole world out there that is gonna happy to, to take us along on their journey. But, but, but the Proverbs tells us there's a way that seems right to a person, right? But in the end, it, it doesn't lead anywhere good, Right? In the end, it leads to, to withering and dying and destruction. It doesn't lead to the kind of life and fruitfulness and hope that the Psalms talk about and that the Bible invites us to experience. It kind of reminds me of Jesus' teaching, right? Jesus said there were two paths too, right? Matthew 7, 13, he says, enter through the narrow gate. Because wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through that. See, there's a whole bunch of people that are going to want to take the easy road. There's a whole bunch of people that are going to want to, to, to play and, and focus on selfish desires and whatever it is that they want, but they're not going to lead us ultimately to the promise that God has for us. It also reminds me of how Jesus talked about with the woman at the well, remember? That there's living water available for those who seek it, for those who desire it. John 4.10, if you knew the gift of God and who it was that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. See, it's not that we're perfect. It's that we recognize our need for God. It's that we recognize because of our brokenness, because of our fallenness, yes, because of our sinfulness, and me too, <laughs> We need a savior. We need forgiveness. We need God's grace. And not just yesterday, not just today. We need it tomorrow. And we need it next week. And we need it next year because we're going to continue to stumble and fall. 
But the good news is that God never rejects us. God never turns his back on us. The door is always open for us to come back and to re-engage and to be renewed and restored. And the place we find that spiritual nurture and food is by returning to God's word. And let me suggest to you that the Psalms are a rich source of spiritual nourishment when we're feeling dry and parched and thirsty. I mean, isn't that why God promised us in Isaiah 53, 5, this foreshadowing of the Messiah. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. By his wounds, we're healed. See, we have a God who, who sympathizes and empathizes with our struggles and our suffering and our pain. He knows what it's like to be pierced. He knows what it's like to feel crushed. He knows what it's like to feel like God is punishing you for something that you didn't do or that you don't deserve. But he willingly came and experienced the very human experience of going to death on the cross so that we could trust that he knows what we're going through, and can help like no other can. Who's righteous, according to Psalms? No one. But that's why we need Jesus. And that's the good news, is that Jesus has come. And Jesus rose from the dead, and he's here. And if we're willing to follow God's invitation and instruction to engage him through his word, he promises to meet us and to restore us and to set us on that path again. So, Faith Covenant Church, our invitation today and this summer is to read the Psalms, to learn what it means to delight in the wisdom and the guidance of God in his word, not because we have to or because some ritual thing and, and you don't have to check in with me and say, okay, I'm on Psalm 50, you know, I mean, I think there's quite a few Psalms to get through. Even if you don't read all of them, read some of them. In fact, if you find one that becomes meaningful, camp out there and stay in one Psalm for the whole summer. I mean, if that's where God shows up, be amazed at how God wants to use that to bless you. As a result, I, I, I believe that we will find ourselves on a path that leads to a greater joy in life, to greater for meaningfulness of what we're experiencing, and ultimately to greater fruitfulness of being in right relationship with God and those around us. I believe God wants to amaze you with who he is. God wants to meet you where you are with what you're experiencing, no matter whether it's good, bad, or ugly, and to demonstrate his grace and his love with his power to help overcome every circumstances in life situation. God wants to amaze you with who he is. Are you ready to be amazed? Let's pray. God, in the busyness and the noise and the clutter of our lives and our culture, would you give us the strength and the courage to, to mark off time, to engage in your word, to read through the Psalms, and not just to read through it, but to, but to hear the words and to take those words with us through the day. So, so like the psalmist says, meditating on them day and night, 24-7, going through our lives, those words come with us. They walk with us. They journey with us. And they give us perspective on every experience. God, give us the courage to commit to engaging in your word, to delight in your word, and to read through these psalms as a gift from you. 
And as we do, God, would you allow our roots to go deep into the living water of your son, Jesus, and allow your spirit to fill us to overflowing so that the fruit of our lives become the righteousness of your life in us. We will thank you and praise you through Jesus Christ, our Lord, in whose name we pray.